0: Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to another edition of Pathway to Peace, a show where we take an analytical look at how we can achieve peace, whether that be political peace, economic peace, societal peace, or perhaps the most important of them all, inner peace. Around 19% of the UK population, which is 11 million people, are elderly. And in 10 years' time, this will have risen to 22%, or 13 million people, according to the 2022 figures from the Centre of Ageing. Their annual state of ageing report suggests that England is becoming an increasingly challenging country to grow old in, with rising pensioner poverty and poor health. Certainly in hospitals up and down the country, Beds are being occupied by elderly people waiting to be transferred to a safe residence, whether that is a care home or their own home, thus prolonging their stay and causing backlogs in terms of people waiting for planned surgery and those who need hospital admission for emergencies. This is expensive for the health system, both in the short term, because admission to a hospital bed is more expensive than supporting a person in their own home, but also in the longer term, because the longer an elderly person stays in hospital, the worse their chance of recovering to their previous level of mobility and independence. So it becomes even more unlikely that they will be discharged home, and their health needs will rise as a result. So the current state of the health and social care services paints a bleak picture. A system overwhelmed with an ageing population that is suffering with ever more complex problems, And family members at the end of their tether, dropping off their elderly relatives in hospitals, saying they cannot cope. A sad reality called granny dumping syndrome, which has been happening since I was a junior doctor 15 years ago. Then, as now, we knew the situation would only get worse unless the system or culture changed, or both. The British Medical Association estimates that a further £7.9 billion a year in social care funding is needed by 2024-2025 to keep up with cost pressures and demand, and to pay social care staff the national living wage. Today, we are discussing the situation the country finds itself in, with some history and personal perspectives from my panel members to begin with. We will then move on to what solutions could be considered. Our programme will focus on Islamic solutions in particular, and how the issues could be addressed in a society where Islamic values are practised. But is it that simple? Would caring for elderly and vulnerable family members ourselves cure the crisis, or have avoided it altogether? I am your host, Dr. Alia Khan. I'm a practising GP. Joining me on the panel today is my fellow colleague in the NHS, Dr Anne-Marie Ionescu, who is training in hospital medicine, and Mrs Melissa Ahmadi, who has trained as a secondary school religious studies teacher. Welcome to the programme, ladies.
1: Waalaikumsalam.
0: Anne-Marie, let's start with you as my colleague in the NHS. What is your take on this and tell me about your experiences? So currently
1: I'm working in an NHS hospital and have finished a rotation in geriatric medicine or care of of the elderly population Mm. uh, coming into hospital. So um, especially over the the winter months and the winter winter periods, it was particularly difficult for our more elderly population living locally to the hospital. and as one might expect in a you know relatively economically stable and medically equipped society you have a population where you it's essentially growing with more young children but with a greater proportion of that population reaching an elderly age hmm. and we've generally been uh a lot better at optimizing the health of the elderly population You know, and we've done this in a number of ways, including establishing and sort of educating the population about about bad health habits and setting up support services to stop things like smoking, which was particularly important Mm. in the the mid 50s and 60s, Mm. um, where a lot of these practices were quite common amongst populations. So a really big education drive was really important in trying to reduce um, things like smoking uh, and to try and uh, increase education around alcohol as well so so that's essentially led to the population in the mid 50s and 60s outliving many of the previous generations um, because of these these sort of education campaigns we've also been Better able to optimise, you know, chronic health conditions like diabetes and high blood pressure, and we're we're also much better at adapting home surroundings to reduce, you know, the elderly's risk mm. of falls, which is which is a really big problem That's as we silly. get older. It, it's a massive problem. I'm sure you mm. you you've experienced that as well within the community. Mm. Um, and all of these things have been improved with separate geriatric or care of the elderly specialist doctors and medical practitioners who provide this uh, excellent level of care. So essentially with all of that, there's been a greater proportion of people living into their 18s and 90s. And the challenge is how <coughs> the challenge is really how we're better able to support that elderly population that's growing in, you know, and better support them independently Mm. without the regular input of their families which is more common nowadays and um, certainly in the hospital settings where I've worked it's a very uh, common feature as you mentioned yourself that the elderly are unable to cope at home and they're coming into hospital to have their daily needs met by a nurse who cares for most of their Mm. needs Um, and there's very little in the way of safety nets you know once once you've been discharged home for many of these patients um, because they live alone or they live with another elderly spouse essentially Mm -hmm. so um, you know some patients do have full-time carers and some live with extended relatives who are able to offer that safety net but that's not unfortunately it's not as common anymore Mm -hmm. as it used to be
0: it's the exception rather than the rule, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, un- you know, unfortunately, for that reason, many of the elderly suffer from loneliness. Um, and although we can send carers out to them in- into the community to bridge to bridge the gap, they don't they still don't have that safety net overnight between the care appointments. And this is where things like falls happen. This is where they're they're much more vulnerable, and they don't get picked up in time until the following day, where the patient might yeah. have been uh, ha- might have remained on the floor, unable to get up for hours overnight. I mean, I've come across so many cases like that.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: Um, so this this is essentially one major contributing factor. This issue, um, caring for the elderly, and it's a major contributing factor. Um, that the NHS is faced with and NHS workers are faced with at the moment Um, and that essentially elderly social care is not enough to keep patients out out of hospital and to keep them in a safe environment as much as we would want them to be. Obviously the you know the last thing I would say I I guess would be the other major factor I would argue being the you know the systemic underfunding of the NHS, cutting Mm -hmm. NHS beds year on year by successive Mm -hmm. governments and undermining of staffing and health provision, you know, with a push to privatization. I guess that's a topic for another day. But you know, it's you know, I, I, you know, someone has has to say that as well when you're talking in this context as well. But you know, given given these issues, I don't believe providing more carers in the community is the only solution to solve this elderly care crisis. It may help to some degree, but it won't help fix the problem in the long run. I
0: think. Thanks, Anne Marie. You're right. You know, and it's when you when I hear you talking about the underfunding of the NHS, and that's really flying in the face of um, what the uh, the statistics that I was quoting in my introduction um, says that the population is getting older their health needs are going to rise and yet beds are being cut, you're right and I think that is a topic for another day which I'm sure we could fill a whole other show with um, and you've highlighted then while you've been speaking that in this society the elderly aren't generally cared for, their fam- for by their families and instead there's almost an expectation isn't there that the government or social care and, and the NHS will provide care for them instead so how did we get here how did we reach this situation um Melissa how about giving us some historical background why and how has that traditional extended family unit um disappeared almost
2: yeah i feel like it's it's obviously there's no one one set answer to this question it's it's definitely multifaceted but i think this this goes back perhaps to the war the impact of world mm-hmm. war 1 world war 2 and sort of the the circumstances of society and and the impact on family structures were massively affected at that time. Um, I mean, obviously, if we look at the the obvious uh, factors of you know many of the men being um, out at war, and many of uh, many women then came in place to sort of take over the jobs that the the men previously were doing here in the UK domestically. Um, but also it, that that sort of left many families without breadwinners, and and that sort of that push for women in the workplace happened. So the structure and the dynamic of families was changing, mm-hmm. um, and this was further sort of impacted even previously to the wars. This impact of industrialization and this move towards you know people living in the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, we can also see sort of the impact of the legal abolition of slavery and um, I'll, I'll say abolition loosely because, you know, it wasn't completely abolished legally, mm. um, at least on paper it was, but sort of the effects of it were very long lasting and even last up until today with things sort of like reparations sort, sort of thing, which affects the economy. Um, but in the 1800s, it meant that, you know, there was a vast amount of money flowing around uh, being profited from the sugar trade mm. and the transatlantic slave trade um you know I won't go too much into detail but uh, again could all have a whole show on that but the the breakdown of sort of land ownership and and earls and dukes etc mm. who profited hugely from the slave trade that sort of filtered down um you know with generational wealth and then sort of with those things breaking down you could see that people are piling into cities for work mm. uh, many industrial towns like up north where I'm from Manchester but also Bradford Birmingham some port cities like Liverpool, they Mm. they were huge cities, um, especially in terms of the slave trade, but also um, industrialization and machinery, um, sort of replacing Mm. manpower, um, but also the manpower that was needed to facilitate those factories Mm. and also poor health that sort of came out from that, the the subsequent health epidemics um, from these long factory hours that people were working. Mm -hmm. And sort of now we know, you know, when we look back, you know, the long term exposure to these poor working conditions and sort of the impact that that had on families and, you know, child labor, things like that, huge, huge issues at that time. Um, which also led to the rise of trade unions, which is, of course, a very current issue happening at the moment with many, many sort of uh, trade unions on strike at the minute. Mm. So I think there's lots of different factors as to why sort of the family structures changed and also the sort of this moving away of the extended family structure. Mm. Um, also, the impact of post-war immigration um, uh countries seeking independence from colonialism and, you know, the previous Commonwealth countries. Um, you know, the Windrush Jamaican population, many yeah. coming over to Britain, uh, many coming from India, Pakistan, East Africa, sort of the these migrations that happen for sort of the promise of better lives uh, or economic, for economic reasons. Um, and also we can see sort of the beginnings of social care as well. You know, the the beginnings of the NHS were developed um, in the post-war period. And then social care sort of being put into place for the for the first time on a sort of national level. Um, of course we can we can talk about the pros and cons of that. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, lo- lots of lots of various different reasons as to why this family structure has sort of um
0: saw that the Affected. elderly. People-
2: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely.
0: And so, so I hear that, um, you know, on a large scale, there was mass population changes. There was a shifting of um, people into cities to look for work. Um, there was immigration as well. So did that result in a cultural shift almost, Anne-Marie um, or Melissa? You know, what, what, um, what, what effect did that have on people's mindset and the culture? Uh, Melissa, sorry. Yeah I think um
2: this this push towards you know cities and people moving into cities for work obviously this affected the the family structure with the perhaps the the more younger population moving away from their you know their 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 families mm-hmm. um in particular maybe elderly people staying put and the the younger people moving away um I think this also had it had a, had another effect because this also pushed people to become more sort of individually focused right mm-hmm. on on sort of you know earning that that was the way to earn money uh, for many many people who had to move away um which also may have created or may have contributed to some people just not feeling that it that they were duty bound anymore as mm-hmm. living away from perhaps elderly mm-hmm. uh, family members I think it goes both ways like the idea that you know um some parents can can leave a child to become fully independent and then at the age of 18 um you know some some people may feel like uh they're sort of left to their own devices or perhaps they're they're not financially sort of looked after by their parents any longer and they're sort of left to be independent so I think that that may also be a contributing factor of um sort of feelings of resentment or perhaps even to go a step further maybe slightly selfish mentality that mm. perhaps that where that has come from is this idea of more individualized sort of way of working way way of living
1: and marie absolutely. Do you agree? Hmm. yeah absolutely i mean i was just gonna kind of echo the same the same sentiment because um i remember in college when i had friends who essentially as soon as they hit 18 they were expected to get a job and start paying their parents rent um so despite living in the same household there was that expectation now that you're an adult to contribute to the family household um where so this 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 i guess you could argue could contribute to the this resentment this feeling of resentment and maybe um because they later wouldn't feel like they would need to care for their parents because later because they didn't show them kindness when they were younger potentially
2: yeah Mm. I think this this topic of resentment is really interesting one because of course many people might argue you know there's a way to balance it in, a, in terms of earning money and also you know doing your own ventures and and having time for those things but I do think it is it is it is a difficult one because if if a young person's feeling sort of pressure to contribute to the household financially if they are still living at home perhaps there's less time then for them to focus on you know education or whatever other pursuits they might be trying to to do whether it's higher education mm-hmm. or starting a business or focusing on sort of how they're going to build their life Mm-hmm.
1: absolutely i think also one other important thing to to mention um which may have contributed to this idea of the estate to caring for the elderly rather than the family is the mm-hmm. fact that um you know stay at home mothers aren't as respected or they're considered of little value nowadays in our culture um despite the amount of care that they do provide to children to parents to neighbors and they're role was extremely pivotal in the community Um, a few generations Mm. ago you know they played an essential role in that way and they still do today Mm. but because you know with the women's liberation movement um, there was a push away from motherhood and the the valuing of the role of the mother in the community not just towards their children but all the other um, roles and responsibilities she played within the community of kind of been lost to a large degree um, and you know we mentioned all all these changes that happened post-war and this is definitely one of them um, with you know women playing a vital role in the uk job market during the war to feed the war machine etc so you know that that can be an, a, an argument made for why the culture shifted so much other things like say technical advancement so you know inventions that made the house jobs easier like a washing machine so things that have made Mm. uh tradition like traditionally female-centered roles much easier has um often made more time for women to pick up jobs to um supplement the family income and because fewer women were at home then um you know this this has left a gap in the community one may argue um but there's also another thing to be said you know it's very expensive um nowadays cost of living crisis. we've made a show on this before mm. and because the house prices are so high now, um, many children are actually living at home with their parents for longer and this may impact on the decisions of parents to actually care for and keep elderly members of their family within the same space, mm. which may be limited.
2: Mm. Yeah, I also feel like as well just echoing what you said Anne Marie. Is that um culturally there was very much um a movement, um, so I hear in the 1980s when <laughs> um Thatcher was sort of in power. And um there was a lot of move towards sort of like individualism and sort of the privatization of um sort of society in general, um, and a move towards perhaps more of a self self-centered culture, um, and every so every man, man or woman for him, for his or herself. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of that has a sort of it snowballed now into into current day into consumerism and materialism. So I think yeah. the, there's there's a there's a huge issue, perhaps with that and sort of like people battling these feelings as well as keeping up with the Joneses, perhaps. Mm. But also yeah. um, sort of what they see as their duty and sort of looking out for their elderly and their
1: parents as they grow older. I mean, you could even extend that with charity work, you know, I mean, this idea of the saviour complex and the power of the visual media, because now we need to video and document even um, small charitable things that we do. And there's no value in it unless we're able to show other people, you know, what we're doing, because we want, essentially you want validation from others rather than seeking validation from God. And it's the same and the same kind of concept can be applied to our elderly elderly parents where instead of seeking your validation from god by caring from you for your parents in their elderly age you don't it's it's not validated in society um as much you know they don't see the value in that as much and they just maybe people and, and the cultural attitude towards caring for your parents now is that the state should take bear the burden and bear the responsibility rather than the, the children doing that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, all these things being said, I think there there are a subset of patients that I see in hospital as well, who, you know, that mm-hmm. the relatives won't be able to, to cope, or they, they do struggle to cope with elderly mm-hmm. um, relatives who have dementia, for example. And so they will really struggle to to keep up with their needs and to And it it may actually be safer for the patient to have a professional who's trained in managing really difficult situations and difficult diagnoses like dementia to care for them instead Mm. of their loved ones. You know, there is a case to be Mm. said for that as well. And I'm sure I'm sure many others have experienced the same as well.
0: I hear what you're both saying about um, this sort of movement towards individualism and, um, you know, uh, it has then led to selfishness, consumerism, materialism, but where does faith then come into all of this so how do we justify or how does the population justify that sort of um behavior and culture over you know community mindedness or even if we're going to go back to um the religion that most of the countrymen um, follow christianity that is very much around community isn't it so i understand what you're saying about those changes and necessities during wartime etc but why hasn't it reverted back to the religious ideals of christianity and islam which are similar really in their approaches to community and charity melissa what are your thoughts about that
2: yeah i feel like many people may have felt or perhaps even feel now that they actually don't have a choice Mm. um in terms of those who have had to move away um um, for university or work or whatever situation it might be they've had to move away from sort of their their family unit and um, many people just yeah they don't feel like they have a choice they either you know to to leave their work to leave their livelihood and perhaps you know they're raising families in a, in a new city away from their sort of parents or their their aging relatives a lot of people may just feel like they don't have a choice you know and mm. um, and I think also this this shift or um why didn't why didn't it revert back to how it was previously mm. um i think there is a move towards now there there's a there's a common feeling that people don't necessarily need religion in the mm. same way that they might have needed it before i mean um the only sort of time this might have flipped i guess was during covid yeah. and a lot of people did actually turn towards religion um in this time of you know it was hopelessness but also like um, not knowing what was going to happen next and I think mm. a lot of people were sort of looking for that sort of uh, rope of hope to to hold mm. on to mm. and even you know on Google a very common Google search it spiked uh, in during COVID during that
0: time stress.
2: yeah yeah and I think that's there's something to be said of that you know in times of national difficulty and even you know now Um, currently with the the Turkey and Syria earthquakes that have happened, there there does seem to be in in times of crisis and in times of uncertainty, there is this move back towards religion or or trying to find a a greater purpose and meaning behind what's going on, Um, especially for things that are difficult to comprehend or or sort of like Mm. get one's head around. Um, But I think now moving back to modern day, you know, post-COVID, I think as a result, you know, many... There's a lot less people attending places of worship in general, um, you, perhaps due to work being prioritised or just perhaps pe- people feeling like it's not really uh, that important for them. Um, I remember having a sort of conversation with a young, um, vicar, mm. and perhaps before previously, you know, there'd be a vicar uh, for every parish or for every mm-hmm. local area um i'm talking specifically about uh, a church church of england uh, vicar anyway yeah. um and perhaps previously there was one vicar per parish but now what what i've actually when i spoke to that person they actually travel to different parishes to do different services so perhaps that that shows that maybe there's there's less people engaging in sort of um religious engagements and religious um sort of services mm. and so there, there might be less vicars needed for that but um there does seem to be a move for you know from all religious backgrounds but particularly um I've noticed something called the alpha course something that's um publicized outside uh, some churches as a move to get young people uh, involved again in faith and there, do, there does seem to be sort of like a swirling current there of sort of engagement and, and young people being curious about faith
0: Okay so um yes i think i've heard of that and there's various other i know in my um area for example the church does hold lots of youth based activities and i think it is like you say to kind of um get them to to be interested in in the church again etc um and i think what i understand what you're saying that now because there is less of this interest in the church or less sort of um a move away from organized religion as, as a result there is less cultural and religious influence on individual behavior than before um, and that's why then people didn't really revert automatically back to what they were doing previously so let's now um talk about islam and as our listeners may know um we are a faith community we belong to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community um, we believe in Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon him, who we believe was the awaited promised Messiah and uh, Mahdi foretold to come in the latter days by all major religions to unite all people under the banner of Islam. Currently, we are under the spiritual leadership of the fifth successor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may God be his helper. Therefore, our shows highlight the Islamic teaching about the topics we cover. And today, um, of course, is no different. So, Melissa, back to you. Can you explain the Muslim viewpoint regarding the importance of respecting and caring for elderly parents?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a theme that carries through throughout the Holy Quran and the teachings of the Mm. Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Um, when we look to the Holy Quran specifically, God mentions a few times, three times, actually, the mm. importance of respecting and showing kindness to our parents. Um, especially, you know, f- from my personal perspective as a young mother, the hardships I know <laughs> that mothers go through. Um, but also it's something that the Holy Quran sort of spells it out very clearly um, that, you know, as children, we don't remember many of the things that our parents and particularly our mothers do for us um, in those years when, you know, we don't necessarily have the memory to remember what happened, but I'm just going to share one Quranic verse, which sort of alludes to that. Um, And it says, and I quote, and we've enjoined on man to be good to his parents. His mother bears him with pain and brings him forth with pain. And the bearing of him takes his weaning uh, of him and his weaning takes 30 months till when he attains his full maturity and reaches the age of 40 years he says my lord grant me the power that i may be grateful for thy favor which thou hast bestowed upon me and upon my parents that i may do such good works as as may please thee and make my seed righteous for me i do turn to thee and truly i am of those who submit to thee and this is from chapter 46 verse 16 so i feel like this is a it's quite a lengthy um sort of extract but it's something that it almost talks about the circle of life Hmm. and I think it's such a beautiful one because it talks about sort of the mother and what a mother goes through and it is it talks about pain quite a lot and I think that's something that perhaps all mothers can relate to this Mm -hmm. idea of pain that nobody else experiences that apart from the mother going through that physical pain but also it mentions up until the age of 40 so it talks about this whole idea of moving through your childhood into adulthood Mm -hmm. how we should still you know have that reverence and that importance of Mm -hmm. looking after and respecting our parents even you know as we grow older and you know by the age of 40 one might already have elderly parents so it it quite beautifully talks about this for our our whole lives we should be sort of looking after Mm -hmm. our parents and elderly. I think also there's um, there's a hadith, um, which is a saying of the Holy Prophet, mm. uh, peace be upon him, who uh, somebody said to the Holy Prophet that he wanted to join in in a war that was going on at that time. Mm. But he was told by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that his his responsibility was actually to look after his mother. Mm. Um, and there there is a narration about this. Um, and he said, oh, messenger of Allah, I want to go out and fight in the jihad. And I've come to ask your advice. And he said, do you have a mother? And he said, yes. And he said, then stay with her for paradise is beneath her feet. Mm -hmm. Now, this last bit is actually quite an important one. And Mm -hmm. it's quite often sort of um, told, uh, especially Mm -hmm. to mothers who are Muslim, uh, this idea that paradise lies beneath the feet of your mother. And it's sort of, again, revering mothers in such a way and, and giving that reverence and that importance to mothers.
0: Thank you, yeah, and it's really, I think it's a, it's a reminder to us as well that we need to be worthy, mothers, right? We need to be worthy of having paradise beneath our feet so that we bring up our children in such a way that they are grateful to God for the blessings that he's bestowed on them. Yeah. So Anne-Marie, Melissa has spoken about how important it is to care for our parents, but what does Islam say about caring for the vulnerable and elderly in general? Can you enlighten us?
1: So, um kind of following on the previous narrations that Melissa just mentioned, um, there's also another dura- uh, narration after the demise of the Prophet peace be upon him, in which um, Umar ibn Khattab, who was um, a successor after the, the demise of the Prophet peace be upon him, when he was the leader of the Muslims of the time, he was walking through the streets and he came across an elderly Jewish man who was begging Um, And he inquired why he was begging, um, to which uh, he essentially discovered that this man had no one to look after him. Um, And the caliph, so um, Umar, peace be upon him, he said, uh, essentially the narration goes on and it says, Umar got hold of his hand, took him to his house and gave him something from his home. He then sent him to the treasurer of the state treasury and said, take care of this man and other similar men. By Allah, we, do, we have not done justice to him, that we ate from him when he was young, but we forsook him when he was old. Verily, the alms are for the poor and destitute. The poor are the Muslims, and this one is a destitute from the people of the book. So what he's clearly was what he was clearly mm. saying here is that you know we take from you in your youth your taxes when you're able to work, but then we abandon mm. you in your elderly years when you're no longer essentially able to contribute to the state, mm. and he bemoaned this during that time and he said, um, it, and you know he he goes through to try and support this man um, in his elderly age and essentially during his. Um, caliphate, uh, Hazrat Umar himself, he instituted a lot of social care programs to help provide, you know, that really essential safety net that we take for granted in this society. But actually, he set up a lot of those uh, crucial safety nets during that early Muslim period, um, particularly looking at those who are more vulnerable. And that uh, those kind of programs included child benefit, a pension scheme, which was essentially what came out of this narration, um, and a monetary scheme um, to those who were very poor and couldn't provide for themselves. Um, so we, I mean, we could do that now, bringing this forward into, uh, you know, our society. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. We really need a shift in our culture and our understanding of our responsibilities to our own elderly relatives, you know, who we we really need to a, a drive to help support families, care for their own elderly relatives where they can, And this can be done through a number of different ways. I mean, when I've been thinking about this particular topic, there are ways in which this can be done by, for example, you could provide funding for house extensions, for extra carers in in the community, which already is there, but provide more funding for that, um, provide more funding for respite care, which is essentially giving carers at home a break, Uh, from their caring roles and duties at home and so on I mean there's there's a various number of ideas to help support families in the communities care for their elderly relatives within their own home and provide that infrastructure for them. so I mean there is financial compensation for carers yes. but it's very very limited I'm sure you you already know within the, mm. the GP practice as well it's very yeah. minimal
0: it's about 60 pounds a week it's a pittance compared to how much time and energy they put in towards caring for their for their relatives yeah
1: mm, absolutely
0: and I think also I I I understand what you're saying about you know it being almost an institutional change that's required isn't it to um get people to come back to um accepting caring for their elderly and vulnerable members of the family and you know you were talked before about private carers that are available but they're not there 24 7 are they so at vulnerable times in the middle of the night an elderly person may fall and like you said it takes time then for the carer to to find them and get them help um and and maybe something like this is required as a result to to Ensure that our elderly and our vulnerable are safe. Um. So tell me, though, on the other side, um, Anne Marie, about some of the challenges that that carers or would-be carers may face. I mean, there are a number of different challenges that
1: that carers can face. Uh, it it's a it's a very difficult role. Um, it's one in which. Uh, you know, I, I can think off the top of my head, several examples that really struck me during my practice in hospital, mm-hmm. which um, really showed the dedication of these relatives to their parents who have suffered um, a very serious stroke, for example, or have suffered um, many years with their uh, elderly relative mm-hmm. getting worse in their dementia. Mm-hmm. Um but I mean, one of one of these issues that carers could face is, is something that we're all facing as well. And that's the cost of living crisis. I mean, you mentioned the uh, financial help for carers is, is a pittance. It's very minimal, but they are you know, more vulnerable at being at the effect of the cost of living crisis, where people just can't afford to care for their elderly relatives um, who are living longer with more medical problems. And uh, with more complicated uh, medical issues with dementia. So, for example, in England, you know, it's estimated over 650,000 people uh, live with dementia in the whole of the UK. And it's I mean, the number with um, uh, the number of patients estimated with dementia themso- itself yeah. is about a hundred, is about eight hundred fifty thousand, according to NHS statistics. But people, other people living with people who have dementia. I mean. It's not quite as high, as I mentioned, it's over 650,000. But that's, that's a huge number of people
0: who are diagnosed with dementia. And I think there's actually an underdiagnosis. What they say is they yeah. think about only about 60 to 70 percent of people who have dementia have been diagnosed. There's a huge number that are not diagnosed as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, I see. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And stigma
0: attached to that, too. So that's why people may not come forward even, you know, to ask for help um because they almost think like that's a death sentence to be given the diagnosis of dementia but we are obviously going into other another show's territory so um tell me what you think Melissa thank you Henry. but tell me what you think um Melissa um because I know that you have personal experience of caring for an elderly grandparent what was that like
2: yeah, so my grandmother, um, she lived quite far away from us, actually, because we, we were based mm-hmm. up in Manchester and she lived in the southeast in Kent. So mm-hmm. when it sort of became clear to us and our family that sort of you know she needed full-time care then um the opportunity came obviously to move her up and even you know even the process of having that journey itself that really impacted her health I think she was already quite in a bad way um you've mentioned dementia she did have dementia Mm -hmm. she had Alzheimer's as well Mm -hmm. she had um it was sort of she had a series of undiagnosed um strokes as well um caused by undiagnosed diabetes so there was a lot of health issues happening um and I think I think sometimes the distance you know when you're trying to care from afar I guess for Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll be honest my mum took on a lot of that responsibility um you know from far um, it's difficult. There's communication issues. You know, when when someone's you know in and out of doctor, doctors' appointments, and you're you're trying to liaise from afar, it's very difficult when you're not able to sort of accompany that that elderly person to their appointment. Sometimes there's miscommunication. Um so it's difficult when you get diagnoses like that. So we we were in a in a fortunate position in that you know we we were able to take in sort of my grandmother at that time and her health did rapidly deteriorate even just from the journey it was a 5 hour journey or so so it's quite a long way but also when she came into our care um you know, certain things happen, you know, when you're living with someone with um, Alzheimer's and and dementia, it can be quite tricky because you're, you're watching a loved one sort of deteriorate before you. And I think that's quite a a hard thing, not just physically and practically, but also emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've not perhaps spoken about the emotional side of sort Mm. of you know elderly parents and relatives you know when you're when they're in a vulnerable position that's quite difficult not only for the person you know the patient going through it that that Mm. family member themselves but also for those looking you know looking on from the outside trying to help as best you can um I think it's difficult you know when you're watching someone who was very very sharp you know my grandmother was very sharp very capable very astute very smart woman mm. um throughout her life she you know she was a farmer and she's a very hardworking person wow. um but you know when you see someone so vulnerable and they're losing their memory and they're getting people muddled up you know n- unable to recognize family members and things like that i think that's that's quite a sort of a difficult emotional toll that can take on family members as well and i think in those um times um you know we do t- turn to prayer a lot um to sort of help you know alleviate those situations and to pray for you know um help going through those situations but um I do think you know the practicalities as well as the emotional side trying to support an elderly person it's almost like um the only way I can sort of explain it is like Having a newborn baby, sort of the changes that you make in your life to to take on that caring responsibility. I'm thinking back to when I had my firstborn, my daughter, mm-hmm. and sort of that shift. It it changes your whole Absolutely. life. Absolutely, becoming a mother. Mm. Um, I mean, you guys will know as well how sort of in the beginning it is you're change you're changing a lot about how you live, and sort of you've got a whole life to care for, and that that changes everything in the way that you live as well. Um, you know, and like a newborn baby who requires feeding, mm-hmm. changing, washing in many ways. Um, this is very similar to those who are immobile, uh, elderly relatives who may be immobile, who may need help going to the toilet or perhaps, you know, having to wear bed pads and things like this. This is it's almost like going back to that stage of caring for a newborn. Um, they may have lost the ability to speak in the case of my grandmother. Um, so it's sort of, you know, it's it's very different circumstances when you've got someone who's essentially bed bound and, and needs that 24 hour care. Um, but yeah, we've spoken about the emotional toll. Um, but I think as a society, I think we're definitely ill equipped to sort of deal with the the mindset shift almost for caring for the elderly. Um, I mean my my I don't even want to say sacrifices on my part because I I was a teenager at that time and I think my parents took on a lot of the sort of um, responsibility but I I was there in the background doing what I could Mm -hmm. but I think in terms of the family structure it it does definitely make a huge shift in how you operate as a family when you're caring for um, an elderly relative there's something to be said for that as
0: well.
1: And even just thinking about I mean the idea that a lot of uh, families are thinking about what's in their best interest, what's mm-hmm. in the best interest of their relative. And many think that um, their best interest is essentially placing them in a care home because professionals can care for them. Um, but I mean, it was interesting going through your experiences, Melissa, with your grandmother. I would imagine though, actually, if she was, placed in a care home she would have, it, it may have actually led to her um getting getting worse more quickly and mm. and um we've seen this quite a lot actually with a lot of elderly um mm. couples whose spouse has died and essentially they um they they gradually deteriorate and essentially die of loneliness because of a lack of family contact after that mm. um, and there's a, there's a very well-known charity called Age UK, who's, who have repeatedly shown many campaigns showing that loneliness is a killer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, where there's more than 2 million people in England over the age of 75 who live alone. And then, you know, more than a million older people say they go over a month without speaking to a friend or a neighbor or a family member. And, um, this of course has been made worse over the covid restrictions mm-hmm. but even before that this was a really big problem mm-hmm. um and that social isolation leads to depression which leads to a shorter life expectancy and we know that there are many studies looking mm-hmm. into that um and i'm sure many of us can relate as I've, I've mentioned about the um the spouse who dies you know in the in the elderly couple you know, that this concept of a broken heart syndrome is very real. I mean, we see that many times in hospital. I've seen it within mm. my own family with my grandparents where, you know, the elderly couples as they get older, one of the spouse passes away and actually not too long afterwards, they also pass away. Mm. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's the same thing. Essentially, loneliness is a, is a killer. Mm. Yeah.
2: I think another group um, to mention as well is young carers um, and this is a growing group of people of children essentially or young people who are caring for um not necessarily just just elderly or just vulnerable members of their family um as many as one in five actually school children are young carers according to a study by the university of nottingham and i think this number definitely increased during the COVID pandemic. Mm. Um, And I think this also has a knock-on effect, you know, for those young people as well who take on these extra caring responsibilities. Um, Essentially, you know, it's, you know, as we've mentioned, sort of the toll that can be taken on those carers and, and that need for support. It can also result in those young people having perhaps lower educational attainment in some cases. And also loneliness and isolation from peers and not being able to be involved in perhaps as many things as perhaps their peers are because mm. of those responsibilities as well that they have to that have to take care of those family members or that that vulnerable relative. So it's definitely a growing group of people, which is um quite concerning.
0: Yeah, you're you're right, aren't you? And thank you, ladies, really shining a spotlight on just the challenges faced by carers. And I think with all of those challenges that we've discussed it's really tough in this modern world isn't it to to sacrifice our time etc and take on board the care of our elders especially if there is an option of utilizing care homes so if I turn to you first Anne-Marie what's the motivation then to do that why should we sacrifice our time and our, our lives essentially to care for an elderly relative what do you think?
1: Well, you know, as us being Muslims in Islam, the only validation that we should really seek um, seek should be from God, and um, and the only, the real motivation for us to do any good deed, including mm-hmm. looking after our elderly members of the family, is to seek that validation from mm-hmm. God, and. Um, and that's actually why the principle within Islam also is that doing good quietly or without the, the eyes mm. of the world knowing what charity you're doing or what good you're doing is actually more rewarding from God. And um, <clears throat> there's a verse of the Quran in uh, chapter two, verse two two 275, where this idea is explored. Mm. And, and I quote, it says, those who spend their wealth by night and day secretly and openly Have their reward with their Lord. On them shall come no fear, nor shall they grieve. Mm. So essentially, service to mankind and duty towards God and His creation, which includes family and parents, should take precedence there and there should there's a recognition within islam that we need to give back to our parents who cared for us in the same way when we were children and i know we we discussed this this uh, idea that we can go full circle from being children you know babies and then growing older and then we we essentially revert back to that childlike state where we need a lot of care to be provided for us in our elderly age as well and in Islam, there is that recognition that this needs to happen and you must care for your elderly in the best way you can. Um, and there, there was one other narration actually I did want to mention, um, in which there was an, a narration of Ibn Umar who was asked by a companion during that during that time where whether he had paid essentially paid his mother back mm-hmm. after conducting the, the Hajj pilgrimage rites um and he he conducted the hajj essentially by carrying his mother on his back during during the um the walking around the kaaba and yes. uh, ibn umar replied no not even by one contraction have you paid her back
0: <laughs> so um i'm going to memorize yeah. that i think that's brilliant <laughs> really good
1: yeah yeah so I thought that was an interesting one mm-hmm. to include just because it highlights the fact that you can struggle and strive for something exactly. which is very difficult you know if you imagine mm-hmm. yourself going doing multiple circuits around the Kaaba mm-hmm. in the in the blistering heat exactly. um in saudi you know yeah. in, in arabia at that time yes. it's very difficult and Absolutely. he replied not even one contractions
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. I think also there's um, there's something to be said um, in the Holy Quran. There's, an, there's something else that has come to mind um, and I'll, I'll quote it because I think we, I alluded to um, a verse earlier in the show as well about this showing kindness to parents and mm. you, you gave such a witty example, Anne-Marie, because it, it's so true. How can we actually repay mm. our parents? There's there's no real measure of that mm. um, and it's something that the Holy Quran talks about um, and I'll quote it. It said, um, thy lord has commanded worship none but him and show kindness to parents if one of them or both of them attain old age with thee never say unto them any word expressive of disgust nor reproach them but address them with excellent speech and this is from chapter 17 verse 24 and i think this is such a poignant person um, such a poignant verse because it kind of summarizes our whole show really um, about sort of showing kindness to one's parents and, and the elderly and the vulnerable, especially in their old age. And, you know, we, we've all been in situations perhaps with our parents or or older relatives where, you know, there's a bit of back and forth or there might be a bit of a disagreement, but here it talks about, you know, not even saying any word of or, or mm-hmm. uttering any word of disgust or reproach towards your parents. So mm-hmm. even in times of conflict, um, bearing this in mind, um not saying any any sort of mm. um negative sort of mm. language towards our parents is such an important thing um and I think also this idea that sort of the prevention of of societal issues of of loneliness that has been mentioned is definitely is dangerous for one's health, and this is sort of the wisdom of the Islamic solution mm. about this idea of looking after one's parents um in perhaps in an extended family situation or just taking care of them through respecting them and honoring their rights is such Mm. an important thing um yeah I think in terms of combating loneliness as well Mm. uh, this idea of the mosque being a social hub you know the the Muslim place of worship like a church maybe for, for Christians uh people can go to a mosque as a social hub and um you know in recognition of young people especially young males um, struggling with perhaps suicide being the main killer for men of men in particular of this age bracket. Um, social interaction we've recognized is critical and vital to combat this, this loneliness that's pervasive throughout society. Um, and this is a hallmark of sort of the Ahmadi Muslim community and the community motto of love for all, hatred for none. It's, it's evident that the mosque is a social lifeline uh, for many, many people Um, inside and perhaps outside of the community as well. You know, it's the hub of organising, you know, things like the charity Walk for Peace, which takes place every year. Yes. And sort of um, the poppy appeal that takes place as well every year for um, the Royal British Legion. So this idea of having a focus, um, a social purpose on creating positive change in society, particularly amongst those who might be of a perhaps older or more vulnerable position, um, perhaps those of retirement age as well. Mm. Um, it gives it gives people, especially um, those who are more vulnerable to loneliness, a purpose mm. and a reason sort of for remaining focused and, and driving that togetherness as well and working together. It's such a huge, huge thing to combat loneliness.
0: It, thank you, Melissa. And I was just um, reflecting back on what the verse that you um, quoted from the Holy Quran. And I was thinking about, that um, bit of the verse that says if both of them attain old age with you never say unto them any word expresses of expressive of disgust nor reproach them and there's something about treating others with dignity isn't there so when we talk about caring for the elderly we say that what's really important is that we maintain their dignity and I think that's for me now, when you were saying that, that that was what I was sort of thinking about. Apart from just an argument or something, but even just when they're not, maybe not in their senses, and when they are, maybe suffering from memory impairment or vulnerability, incontinence, you know, those sorts of things. That it's really important that we still treat them with dignity and respect. So, thank you. That's such a nice reminder. And you know, unfortunately, listeners, um, we've come to the end of our show, and I just want to thank both. Both of the um, panel members today who have each contributed to what what has become such a rich discussion, highlighting sort of the journey towards the family unit breaking down and also the very real difficulties being faced, not only by the system, but also the carers and families involved in the experiences um, that Melissa and Anne-Marie have shared. With modern life requiring so much of us and our value being what we bring to the table financially, leading to materialistic lives, perhaps we have lost perspective along the way of what is really important. So Islamic solutions focus on community and family and caring for and respecting our elders and relatives. And the examples given by Anne-Marie demonstrate how Islamic values can be upheld and citizens can be supported for caring for the vul- vulnerable and the elderly. Islam enjoins kindness on our parents and instructs us to pray for them as they showed mercy to us when we were young, helping us recognise how they have brought us into the world and made us into capable adults and the untold and un probably uncountable sacrifices that they have made along the way so caring for them when they become elderly and vulnerable is our way of showing gratitude may god have mercy on our parents as they showed mercy to us in our childhood amen please join us um, in our conversation on social media using the hashtag voi peace may peace be upon you all Until we meet again, assalamu alaikum.